0: And now, ladies and gentlemen,
1: check it out. You've Got to Start Somewhere, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett.
0: Welcome to the show today. I am speaking to a what's what's the word? I want to say like uh, a piece of furniture in the radio industry because he's been in the room so long. One half of the Jonesy and Amanda Breakfast Show on WSFM. It is Brendan Jones. Welcome. Rachel,
2: thank you. A piece of the furniture.
0: You are now. You've been in the business for how long?
2: Uh, since nineteen ninety.
0: Holy guacamole! I know. Mm. My lord, have you been unbroken in terms of employment that entire time? Yeah,
2: I've worked the whole time, uh, only with like a week off in between radio stations. So, now I've never been sacked. Touch, touch, Laminox.
0: Have you? Have you? Um, we are sitting at your bar yes. in uh, in a room that you have promised me. Is good on the acoustics. I think it sounds all right. I'm happy with it. I so, because I have a real issue with Echo. If I sit down to edit this episode and it just sounds like we're in a toilet, I'm going to have real problems. I don't know. (laughs) I think we
2: could, like, I was thinking, like, if Amanda and I ever had a Wendy and Mooney thing, and I just started doing the show from home, I could probably do it from
0: This is where you do it. This would be your lair. Tell me how you got into the business. You were in community radio when you first started, weren't you?
2: Well, I went, yeah, I went on a school excursion in '79. And to 2SM in Sydney, and that's it for me. I was 12 years of age, and it was just while all the other kids were sort of goofing off and not understanding what it was all about, it just it, it just hit me. Like a, and I thought, how do you get this job?
0: This. What was it about you, about it that resonated oh, with just, you? Uh, I don't know. It was the chair on train tracks
2: that went into the record library, and it was like you know carpet on the walls, and it was Paul Hogan was walking around. It was just like wow. – and you looked at – this is when 2SM was over at Blues Point, so you looked over the harbour – And I'm just thinking, man. But they get paid for this? Mm. So, really, but it wasn't, it took me a long time to get from that to even articulate that you want to be on the radio because it doesn't seem realistic.
0: Were you a performer as a
2: kid? No, not really. I was quite shy. So, I was, on one hand, I was like an introverted performer, and I still am a little bit. I'd always go into the school talent quest you know, at the last minute with something. Right. And the guy go, what do you got? And I go, oh, I got this thing, I'm going to do this thing. And he goes, right, have you thought this through? And I said, not really, because yeah. I'm too nervous, but I'm going to do it, it's going to work. And sometimes I worked, sometimes I didn't. But there was, I was a bit of a class clown in that aspect. But I still would get very shy.
0: So would you do it at the last minute because you would convince yourself not to do it and then yes. it would be approaching and you just say, oh, I'll, just, I'll just jump on in. So there was a part of you that wasn't confident about it Mm. so much.
2: Yeah, no exactly. Right. Uh, and I you know cuz I come from the area I came from in Sydney, uh, Cronulla, it's not really known for its arts,
0: thespians. Yeah, so mm. you know at school
2: you you know you either played football or you played football. Mm. And and that was it. And when you left school, you became a tradie. And all my mates are tradies and right. I, I was hopeless at that. And uh, there was a moment there I was going to be an outboard motor mechanic cuz I liked boats.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And th- then I was going to be a sign writer. So everyone was trying to get me into something that wasn't what I wanted to do. So they thought, said, well, you're good at drawing. So I went to art school where I, you know, just smoked dope and
0: (laughs) drew pictures of old ladies
2: in the nude. And that was, that was that. And and I failed that. And I think radio was always my, it was almost like coming out to your radio career. You Mm -hmm. know, you, you can't. Run away from what you should be doing.
0: What did your parents want you to do? Uh,
2: they were they, well. My dad was an airline pilot, so he, you know, had a, a vocational job, and he loved flying. So he was very supportive mm. of it, and and so was my mum. So they were very they were into it. Uh, they wanted me to 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 do it, but they were also realistic. They'd say, you know, it's a very hard field to get into, and your school is terrible. Your schooling is so bad.
0: Were you, know, you not a good student? Terrible, really. Just absolutely.
2: Just dismal.
0: Why do you think it was?
2: I think it was around the time when, uh, if you were no good at maths, they lumped you in with bad English as well. Not the moderately successful 80s band, but bad English. (laughs) And so I'd end up being in the Dumbo English class, you know, with guys that couldn't read. And I used to read a lot and still do. So I remember like when I was in, you know, year four, I was reading Jaws by Peter Benchley Mm. before the movie came out. And my teacher said, What's wrong with this kid? You know, I was just in it for the sex scene that was in the book. <laughs> of <course you> were.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for us, uh, for, in my generation, it was Judy Bloom's Forever. Ah, that yes. was the sex scene book that everybody yeah. read uh, back in my school days. Yeah. I
2: just remember the words moist and flagpole. <laughs> and they were always, it's always stood out. So that was, so I'd go into school and, um, you know, the, I'd have to go be in the class with these guys that couldn't read. So I just lost interest in school. So by the time I got to year nine uh, and another school, the, the teachers sort of said, look, you know, you, you're wasting your time here.
0: At no point did anybody look and say you are too advanced for this class? Uh, not back then, no, because my maths was so bad. I was
2: almost – I have like if there's such a thing as mathslexia. Yeah. But my kids do it to me as a joke. Go, what's six times seven?
0: <laughs> right. And I actually
2: freeze. <laughs> Ironically, when mm. it comes to adding up songs to time out an hour – I wow. can do that very well.
0: But please tell me you don't still do that I, you know, manually. To, to a degree, to a degree, but
2: not, you know, in the old days when we had to play the news on time, mm. the time pips. Yeah, you
0: just got good at it. You can do that. I can do that. Did you feel disheartened being in that environment or were you too young to understand that you were probably in a space that you shouldn't have been? You know?
2: no, well, yeah, I think so. I think, and Dad, you know, because he was an airline pilot, I never saw him much. So he was always flying, and and whenever, and I always seemed to be in trouble for something else. Like it was like Peter to pay Paul. I wasn't yeah. a bad kid, but it was always something. You know, if something happened, I would always be on the fringe of the group that it happened to. Mm-hmm. So I, I got lumped in. And because I was in that so-called Dumbo class, I just got lumped in with those guys. I didn't even like those guys. I didn't want to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. But, I, I, you know, I did like them. It was just, yeah, it was a, it was a vortex. And I, I, don't, I don't think it happens to kids these days. I look at my own kids who, you know, two of them have now left school and they did very well, and my youngest is – you know, he's at school mm. and he reminds me of me as a goof-off artist. <laughs> but he, he is very good at maths and he, he reads a lot. And But the teachers, they adjust for him. Yeah. They just put him into the… You would hope things
0: have changed. I Definitely, so
1: definitely, yeah. yeah. Definitely, yeah.
0: How did you decide or when did you decide to go and set foot into a community radio station? How old were you?
2: Uh, so I would have been 18.
0: Oh, that long? Yeah. Between the 2SM at yeah. 12 and, yeah, wow, that is a long time.
2: And uh, I went to uh, Max Rowley's Media Academy.
0: Who did I speak to the other day who did that exact yep. same thing? Timmy Gilbert.
2: Timmy Gilbert, yeah. He was the uh, same year as me but a different night. Right, it was a Wednesday night. Oh,
0: okay.
2: So Timmy Gilbert. So we ended up. um, I did that, but you know, Max was great because it taught you how to speak Mm -hmm. and how to do all that sort of stuff. Not so much panel. And then Max wasn't a big fan of community radio because he thought you know you'd you'd get bad habits. But having said that, you know you weren't paying him his thirty dollars. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I ended up um, getting a job in two BCR at Bankstown on a on a Thursday afternoon. So I work at a Smash Repairs in Rockdale, Ralph's, and he'd let me have the afternoon off to do them a community radio show.
0: Had but you pitched them a show or had you just turned up and no. said?
2: No. Well, well, all I said, I said, I want to be on the radio. And they said, okay, well, all you got to do is host Jazz Beat, which was a tape show, from 10 to 12 on a Monday night and you can have the, your pick of any show during the week. Wow. So I just had to go every Monday night. I went in there at 9.30, put this tape on and then would play the United Nations Hour as well. And sit there and speed the <laughs> tape up a bit and try and you know because you're allowed to you had to swap tape, so you got to talk in between, oh. and that was the United nations, and now we're um here's and then you chuck your own bit
0: you yeah know. yeah yeah, so what when you were doing that early show, mm. I guess you said that you were very drawn to it, and that maybe you ended up doing something you were naturally designed to do, but that very first radio show when you sort of don't know where the furniture is or how things work or what a break is or what to. Do you remember how that went or how you felt? Did you feel comfortable from the get-go?
2: Oh, no. And back in those days, it wasn't. you didn't really have any content. You didn't really have anything to say. It was all about records and, and this is even before CDs. So none of the radio stations, even the commercial ones in the early days, didn't have CDs. Mm. So we were doing records and cart machines and, and tapes reel-to-reels. So, you, okay, there goes Neil Diamond and uh, Hot August Night, now coming up is <laughs> right. Elton John and this is a song that he wrote in 1976, sorry, 75. <laughs> it's called Tony Dancer. And I'm being more articulate about
0: yeah, yeah, how yeah. you would
2: do it and that's what you did.
0: So your content was entirely just that's it. like the track list on the back of a C- uh, cassette tape. Yep. If you, <laughs> yeah.
2: like I, I'm a radio nerd, I'll, I'll go on YouTube and listen. You can listen to radio shows from mm. any time. And I'll listen to 2WS in 1985 and they've still
0: got tapes of the, that yeah so on, on a... YouTube you can oh, wow. like it's an air
2: check tape, so it's got 2 sm 2WS. and there's it's Pete Graham and Sammy Power of all people and at 10 past seven he says, and uh, good luck to Wepping Boys High and they've got Jesus Christ Superstar tonight. Good on you fellas. Coming <laughs> up more. more of what. <laughs> <laughs> You've given us nothing. So that—that's
0: the thing. Like are air checking nineteen nineties radio. I'm, 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 I'm You've got too much time on your I hands. Do, I do, so,
2: but I think my point is, it's just changed. It's all content based now. You know, when Doug Moray came along when I was a kid. And it was like, whoa! This guy's doing skits and and all the cool stuff.
0: Do you? So you said you went to art school. So yes. that was your version of university. Yeah.
2: So art school was my uni, and and the only reason I went to art school is because I couldn't get into the radio school because I was too young. I was sixteen at that time.
0: And ah. Max said, look, he's a
2: bit too young. We we would we'd probably take them when they're eighteen, only to so they don't waste their time and your money. Yeah. Right. And I don't know what would have happened had I gone earlier. Because back in those days, everyone worked in radio. When I started, when I got my first radio job, I was 22. So I was like, they called me an old man.
0: Oh, wow. Everyone
2: else in radio was about 18. Yeah, right. the Jamie Angels of the world. Like Jamie Angel was about 12. Still (laughs) still is, isn't he? He's
0: about 12.
2: Looks (laughs) the same. They're all so young. (laughs) And I was old.
0: That's young now in the business, I think. To... I think
2: it's come around a bit, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. But Max Rowley's radio school, was that sort of an eight-week course or was it a –
2: No, it went for as long until you got a job.
0: So basically it was, you just kept paying him every week to turn up. Yeah, and you just kept doing it. So it was really Max Rolley's babysitting university (laughs) until you got a
2: job. You know, the thing that I really liked about Max was uh, towards the end of my, like, so I'd left Max's and I'd I'd lost my way. I was doing community radio and and I was working on a building site in Sydney and I was making very good money. And I remember just thinking, I could just do this. And... I was at the uh, Kent Street parking station and I hear this, oh, look over here, it's Brendan Jones and it's Max. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm just, you know, I've given up, Max. And he said, well, mate, you shouldn't give up, you know. Come back to the studio and we'll remaster your tape and we'll send it out. So I went in there, remastered the tape and actually sent it to Karatha, Western Australia. Know, yeah. And got a job. But then, you know, if you had Tourette's and couldn't speak <laughs> and were deaf, you would have got a job in Carafa.
0: <laughs> I've never been to Carafa. What mm. is, explain the joint to me. It's,
2: uh, it's a town where the men are men and the women are men too. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those. Small town? Yeah, it's like 8,000. Well, back then it was 6,000 people.
0: I'm assuming in a town that small uh, because you're often the town celeb in yeah. areas oh, yeah. that, that small.
2: Was, you and the car dealer. <laughs> the local yeah. car dealer, you became the big wheels of the town.
0: And you're also often the breakfast talent, the lunch talent, the drive yep. talent and the cleaner. And the newsreader. <laughs> and the newsreader. Yep. Were you on all day breakfast, drive? Yep. What, what so was you do, your job? Uh,
2: I, did, I did nights, uh, six till midnight for a bit too long. Towards the end of – I was there for way too long. I was there for two years, which was a, a lifetime.
0: Wow, that's a long time in yeah. a small country town.
2: So I rolled the dice and took a job at 2 M Musselbrook as production, I thought, and, and it was just a weekend shift. And
0: Oh, was in audio production?
2: Yeah, just doing production, like doing oh. – because I was doing the ads anyway in Caratha. so I thought, you know, I'll just do voiceover there. So I'd voice the ads and – you know, ring the client. What do you think of that? Oh, mate, can you just change? No, <laughs> you're paying $15, mate.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how long did you work in production then?
2: Uh, not long. I, I was promoted before I even got to Musselbrook. So in the time that I got there, mm. like in the time that I said, I'll take the job, they said, okay, well, afternoon guys left. So you are now the afternoon guy. And I was on afternoons for about a week and then the morning guy left and then I was the morning guy.
0: Sometimes, um, because you decided to leave Caratha, right? Yeah. Yes. So sometimes, you know, I think there there can be a tendency to think you've got to keep the jobs that you've got. But often, um, I think I was having a discussion with Sam Mack about the the idea that sometimes you have to take control and just go, you know what, nope, I'm going to take a leap of faith and go somewhere else. Because Lord only knows, you could still be doing mornings in Caratha.
2: Oh, definitely. You have to take, and I think up until my last parts of my career from from Triple M Brisbane to Triple M Sydney to here, that they're the only times that they've actually approached me. All the other times it was like sending tapes out. So as soon as i get to a station, I'd start sending out air checks. That was the Would thing. Would you? Straight away. Yeah, I'd go, I got to Musclebrook and I was there a week and said, right, started sending tapes out. So the 16 months I was there, I was just always just sending tapes out. That,
0: was that is a really good approach.
2: Well, it's just, yeah, so you don't get, you know.
0: Well, I, I always think if a contract ends – you should always make sure it's not the first day you've thought about leaving, (laughs) Yes, you know, because if you've been sending out tapes for 16 months, if something ends or you've already started to develop those relationships, you've already started to be seen by other people, Mm. um, and and things often take a lot of time. You know, you can send out a bunch of tapes. I've sent tapes to people and two and a half years later someone calls and says, oh, you remember we had that conversation two and a half years ago? Do you want to come and fill in here for something? You just never know when those kind of things are going to happen. So where was the first sort of big gig for you? Uh,
2: it would have been Wollongong. So I-98 I know, in Wollongong. Yeah. Mm. And I tried many times to get into the gong. And then when Peter Kay rang me up and said, you know, we want you to come and do afternoons, I was like, whoa, you know, this is the big smoke. It's got, you know, ratings. It's, it's all there. You know, and they had a promotional vehicle. Yeah. Like, wow. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know it was, you didn't have to voice ads. It was like, whoa, this is the big time.
0: But I guess by the time you've gotten to that stage, one of the great things about working in those stations where you had to do everything is mm. you become very versatile. Oh, definitely. How do, how do you think, you know, you've come through that sort of regional radio pathway into the Cap City and, and to the top of the tree? Do you look back at those times and the way that things used to be in a nostalgic way or you like how the business has changed now? Oh, I think it's better now. I, you know, I Yeah, I love it now.
2: But, but it's even like, you know, I listen to stuff that we did, you know, 2006 and I go, geez, that's lame. You know, <laughs> I, I think the last thing you want is stuff that you did 10 years ago or even last year. You want it to be better. Mm. You, uh, and radio is all about evolution, you know. And, and as I said, when I was listening, I'll listen to Doug Morrow's show on YouTube, but it's more of a nostalgia hit for me and I love it. But, you know, when you hear it, you go, well, that went too long. That parody's miles too long. Mm. You know, that You Are Soul song went for six minutes. (laughs) Man, are you listening, Fitzy and Whipper? (laughs) Yeah. Shop it in
0: half. That's it. But uh, I. But even
2: theirs only go, what, a minute? They do a. Like, I've joked with Michael and uh, Ryan about parodies before.
0: Oh, I joke all I'm the just, time about the parody. but I'm just
2: envious because I can't sing or play a guitar.
0: Yeah, but Whippers just—he's told me on this podcast—he's just a frustrated musician. Mm. You know, he can't—he can't be singing in the club, <laughs> so he's got to sing on his radio show. And he just so happens that he's got, you know, insert however many listeners here uh, <laughs> listening to his every word every morning, and he can ship out whatever content he wants. So he's got a perfect platform to to be the frustrated musician he wants to be. You, you went through the 90s and you're saying, you know, you like it better now in terms of the way the business works. But I often hear a lot of people who worked in the 90s and the late 80s talk about those glory days of oh, radio yeah. uh, when it was parties and drugs and big-name oh. acts and a, a sort of lifestyle Things I guess worked less like a corporation, and more like a. I suppose what a lot of people would see on that. What's that movie about the pirate radio yes, out in the, um, boat.
2: Yep, the boat? Yeah, the boat rocked.
0: That's it. Mm. Do, do you? Is there elements of that kind of lifestyle around radio that you miss? Oh, from definitely. That time? I think when I
2: started at Triple M Sydney, Triple M Sydney for me was my whole reason for being was to get to Triple M Sydney. And when I got there, it was just unreal. You know, the corridor smelled of dope. You know, I remember watching, like we had a ratings day and I'm, i I shouldn't say, well, no, I, one of them's passed away. But okay. I just, but I walk into the toilet and they're lining up Coke <laughs> and they're going, do you want some of this? And I said, well, it's 10 in the morning. Yeah. I've got to do my radio show. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just great, you know. And Triple M, like when was the Rock Dog? Was at Triple M? And Kath O'Connor there was there, and Guy Dobson. It was, you know, there was a real great camaraderie, mm. and we were just untouchable. The station just felt great. You'd have people like, I don't know, like Vin Diesel would be just sitting there. And I remember one day, and I'm, I go, "Who are you looking after, mate?" And he goes, "I'm looking after myself." And yeah. I like, it's "Vin Diesel." Yeah. You know? And I think Andrew Denton, when Andrew was there with Amanda doing that show, there was a certain amount of uh, that you could really feel there was an energy to the Mm. station. And I got there as it was on the way up. So it was really good. It was good.
0: You don't strike me as a very arrogant man. No. Uh, Yes. (laughs) No, you don't. You really don't. Um, But uh, I – Oh, but. (laughs) but, No, no, no. But a lot of people that went through that time Mm. I think sort of Became quite arrogant and didn't adapt in a lot of ways. And I guess they kind of thought those glory days would last forever mm. and they never really adapted to how the industry was changing.
2: It's funny how you say that because when I went from Triple M to WS, it was like going back to Wollongong. You know, it just felt like a hokey country radio station. Mm. And, uh, and my attitude probably came across with me from there. But like, I think it was also granted as well because like ws was so hokey when i started it was the hokiest hoke show i'd ever heard
0: why did you go across
2: money <laughs> i feel terrible about that <laughs> but that was the only reason it was just money and it was dreadful it was dreadful to do that because i've never done a move for money and this was at a time when triple m they they just sacked club veg and they'd sacked was the rock dog and kath o'connor had left and guy dobson was leaving and I just, you know, and I was the only one that had signed on for another three years. And I just thought, oh. And I had to do the Veggie Show, which was terrible because, mm-hmm. like, I'm filling in. So it was me and uh, Fifi Box sort of doing a little little show. Oh,
0: really? Yeah, I don't really? know if she'd
2: remember that. She, she was doing a segment called The Gig Big. And Dobby said, mate, it's not about talking. it's not. It's, we're just playing music and being slick. So, But me and Fifi used to have a little sort of a, a bit of a riff. And, and I think that ended up turning into Marty Sheargold and Mikey Robbins.
0: I never knew Not that. that
2: show. But I, I only did Triple M drive for, uh, it was about three weeks. Then I left at the end of the year and went to WS.
0: So did you get poached at WS? Yeah, yeah.
2: So WS, they, they, um, they rang me probably four or five times. Mm. And I said no. And it got to a point where they said, why, why won't you come over here? I said, because your station just sucks. It sucks. (laughs) Well, what part of it sucks? Everything about your station sucks.
0: This is the best negotiating tactic I I have ever heard. I just
2: hated it. I hated it. I hated that uh, it played hokey old Neil Young songs. I hated that it played Build Me Up Buttercup. And I said, you guys are out of Blacktown? Oh, no, we're at North Ryde now. Oh, great. The centre of the universe. You know, I'm looking at a Bondi Junction. I'm looking at the ferry cutting its way to Circular Quay. And you want me to go to North Wright and you're saying that that's great. And in the end I said, look, to be frank, and they said, well, why? what would make you come over here? And I said, well, it would just have to be money.
0: And then they came up with the money.
2: They, well, they they just did that because they had Clear Channel money, so which was an APN money. Uh, and, and, you know, I think for me, like Guy Dobson really helped me. And he said to me, you know, because we'd to and fro about it a bit, and he said to me, I'm going to let you get out of your contract because we can't offer you what these guys are going to offer you.
0: That's pretty amazing because mm. I was going to say, if you just signed on there, how did you get out of the contract? How yeah. did you avoid a non-compete? How did you? Well, this is how
2: Keen WS were. They were going to buy out my contract. They were like – Wow. They said, well, look – you know, I said, look, I they, they just signed it. So I was using that and they said, no, we'll, we'll, we'll sort that out. Don't you worry about that. And, and I said, you know, Okay. And then then Guy was really good. He just said, we can't offer you that. And in three years' time, when your contract runs out and you're doing mornings here at Triple M, we'll probably uh, cut you down to about half of what you're getting. So I just thought, oh, and that was it.
0: You know what is great about that? Mm. Honesty. Yes. And this is what I think is missing so often in this business. We are, those of us, you know, meandering around the halls of radio and television stations – are all adults and we are all professionals Mm. and we understand how the business works. And I have long thought that a better conversation than, oh, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, until it's time to sign a new contract and they go, actually, we don't love you anymore, is to literally sit down with someone and say, either you know what this is a kind of shitty gig now but we are genuinely in three years like honestly looking at you as breakfast talent so Mm. stick with us like let's work you let's build you up as a brand here and then we'll move to breakfast or alternatively mate we're really thinking about shifting the station so there's every chance that you won't be doing as good a, a, a show that just gives you so much more ability to either plan if you are on the air or alternatively piss off and not be in a situation yeah. where you're sitting there going guys yeah. guys <laughs> where yeah. did everyone go <laughs> no i just bought
2: a I just put a perrier fountain in my house <laughs> yeah. what are you saying you're not going to renew
0: yeah how do i pay the mortgage yeah. guys what uh, are we gonna
2: do? yeah I, look I've, and i always found that that was that
0: was pretty cool
2: you know and, and i'd like to think that we're still there's a lot of um honesty but like i you know i have an agent now so i haven't dealt with any negotiation stuff for a long time mm. which is good because, you know, you just They'll say, oh, okay, we're going for this And i go, okay And I always say to them, well, good luck with that
0: Yeah, yeah Because I always
2: think, you know, I'm worth nothing So mm. I go, good luck with that And then I come back and I say, well, you know, that, that's done And you're yeah, right, okay
0: But it's, I mean, it's it's different for you now because you guys, uh, you know, obviously are such an established brand at WS and you do, you know, you rate well, you do well, people love the show. Um, so it's a bit of a no brainer now. You know? Well, I, you know, you
2: always, you know, I never get cocky and I'm always, always looking. You're still sending the, tapes? I'm sending tapes to Guy Dobson. <laughs> got, a, got a tape of my latest break back announcing Nickelback. So
0: um, I'm, gl- I'm sure Amanda will love to hear that. Yeah, no,
2: no, no we're, we're joined at the hip now. We're um we're not going anywhere.
0: When you first started, so when you went to WS, what were you employed to do there? our uh, breakfast. So with that, Amanda at the time. No,
2: though? no. So Kaylee was working there with um. So Hans Torv had left, and they didn't have anyone else. They didn't really have a a, a much of a plan. That's what bugged me because it was they rang me in November. I said, mm. guys. you're you realise, you know, breakfast shows just don't happen. And they said, look, we'd, we've just got to make this happen. And I said, well, why have you taken so long? I think they were trying to keep hands on. They wanted him to go for another year, but mm-hmm. he was just, he was over it and he wanted to get out. And so I ended up working with Kaylee, uh, which was like a forced sort of marriage and it didn't really work.
0: How long did that show go for? Uh,
2: it was a year, it was 14 months, 15 months. Right. And w- there was a situation there when Wendy Harmer was sort of hanging around and they got Paul Holmes. And then I remember Peter Clay <laughs> said to me, I said, what's going on, Pete? Now, mate, I've had a, I'm going to let you in on an insight. I've made a suggestion that you do a national night show. And I went, right. So I just went straight to management. I said, you guys, you got me here to do a breakfast show to rate. Give me the right tools and we'll rate, but I'm not doing any national night you know, i could have been doing and this is the time when fifi and uh, marty were killing it but yes. i just said i could have been doing that show on triple m
0: right of course because you'd left that combination if you hadn't have left they wouldn't have found marty yeah because yeah, right. i had a great belief that fifi and i had a
2: chemistry there that mm. would have worked and i just said uh, and they said look you know what do you need and i said look you, you get amanda keller we do breakfast if we don't go number one this time next year i won't do the last year of my contract well i'll walk away
0: why was she your go-to name? Was we filled in uh,
2: – when I was at Triple M, Andrew Denton had a, um, like a heart thing. It was an infarction.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So they rang me and I filled in with Amanda for a week and that would have been in about 2000. And at the end of the week, I was like, wow. That was the best radio show I've ever done. And I've done a lot of different team shows and I was so sad. I was like devastated. I thought, it's not going to happen. It's like when you make a perfect sandcastle. Yeah. yeah it's not going to last. Yeah. It looks great. Did I, she
0: think the same thing at the time? I think Maybe. Amanda
2: didn't want to do breakfast radio ever again mm. after Triple M because it's was very hard um, for her there. And I think she had the same situation, you know, with a show that's thrust together. So she worked with Andrew and then they're thrust together uh, with Pete and Mikey. And not to say that she didn't get on with them, but I, I think it was just – it's just hard to be yes, chucked artwork. in. It's just scary. just – well, you've had it. You've, mm. you've been down it. And so she um, ended up doing Mondo Thingo on the telly and she would have kept doing that. So I would court her. So I became like her manager. Say, so come on, just do the, just do the show, just do, come on, just do the show. She goes, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do breakfast radio ever again. And and it went on for ages and ages. And then it ended up that WS made her a good money offer. And I, I always said to her, I said, look, it's not going to be hard. You can show up at six in the morning and leave at nine. I just need, I'll do all the other stuff. And she doesn't do that, by the way. She works very hard. But I just said, just or just be there. If you're just there, the chemistry that we have will get us through. It's such a huge
0: thing Mm. when you are working on a show to sit down with someone and have that back and forth and that ease and to know you have the chemistry, you are engaged by them and interested, you like their turn of phrase, you like the way they look at the world. It makes those three hours like a... Simple conversation with an old friend mm. instead of a horrible first date with somebody you never want to see again but you have to see every single day for three hours in front of half a million people. you know it's such a huge difference, same job, but such a different situation I mean you I, I would be in the same situation mm. if I was like would I would do everything, I'll make you lunch every day, yeah. <laughs> I'll clean your house, just be here with me so I don't have to be fit in to a you know square peg in a round hole in another mm. show that doesn't work. I guess as well because you sort of would have known at that point that your, not career, but your career at that time in that space was on the line because it was like either your breakfast shift works and you find out a way but, to make it work or you'll be on nights.
2: Yeah, and yeah, I wouldn't do that. I'd rather drive a cement truck. And do that So that, that's it and I, But I'm always I never take it for granted though I always i always worry that Amanda Doesn't really need it anymore I think Oh she's got the TV And she's got She Like you know She's always knocking back stuff mm. and, uh, and I often think Oh God, what if she decides to leave? You know, I just don't know if I do – I love radio. I don't know if I do radio anymore. I don't know. It's pretty
0: hard when you've had that combination and you're so used to each other Mm. and you have that sense of not worrying about anything when you walk in the studio because you go, right, well, we, we, yep, we know how this works. We've got this down. And I guess at this point in your career after doing that show for so long, it being successful, there is a sense of – oh, that's some heavy lifting to yeah. get back to this stage with oh, somebody else. It's like a, you know, it's
2: like a band. We're like a band. Mm. We're like Simon and Garfunkel.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or,
2: or Jagger and Richard's probably cooler. But we're like that. You know, we fight. Amanda probably more with me than, but I drive her crazy. You
0: know, Why I, do you drive her crazy? I just know
2: I drive her crazy. Like it's, I'm like a, I'll, I'll stir her up. But that's what the that's what the the thing is.
0: Yeah. You know, that's what the That's what the listeners like. Yeah.
2: But she is so sharp. She's too sharp. That's the, the problem. She's sharper than me.
0: You're one of those shows where there isn't anybody that I have met in the business that doesn't think you guys are deserving of your success. I remember one of maybe the first Acras I went to, yeah, you guys won for best.
2: Oh, the best on air team. Yeah, yes, that was a Best big, on air yeah.
0: team. Yeah. Mm. And Quite often at those things, you'll have at least a couple of people in the room who yeah. think the people taking the trophy don't deserve it. That's usually me saying, oh, <laughs> Kyle and Jackie, oh, again, yeah. come on. No, but the, you always know when Kyle and Jackie actually turn up to yeah. the event, no, when Kyle turns up to the event, you know they've been given the heads up that they yeah. won. <laughs> well,
2: they kind of do that. They do, because it's happened to me once mm. uh, when I was at Triple A and I was nominated for one and Kath O'Connor said, um, you know, you're going to Melbourne for the... Radio awards, and I said, Oh, look, you know, my wife's just had a baby. I just, no, I don't think I am. I think you should go <laughs> down. I said, Well, are you, Kath, are you telling me that I've won it or not? Because <laughs> I'm not going to go down there and get beaten by Alex Dean. Okay. <laughs> so it's either I've won it or not.
0: Yeah. I, said,
2: I think you should, you know, and Kath is the eternal diplomat. You should go, like, we go, like, because I, d- I don't want to know.
0: I, I think thought, you should. So the you element should of surprise yeah. is important but to it's an It's nice when ceremony. you win it. Like, Lovely, I knew think yes.
2: guys. Marty, Tim, and Kate had won it last year because I could tell their vibe.
0: Oh, you knew that they knew. I could,
2: well, yeah, I could feel the vibe. Oh, okay. You know, you'd feel, you know, Marty was. It, it, and I said, You're, you know. And he said, Well, good luck tonight. I'm going, Yeah.
0: Yeah, right, continue. and right. good luck to you. But I don't think you should know before. No, you no, you win. shouldn't know,
2: it just makes it easier.
0: yeah, well, and and also if you're because there is a tendency sometimes for talent to not want to go to those things, because I don't know, what do you? I can't stand award ceremonies no. and those kind of things, i'm I'd rather be home reading a book. Uh, I particularly like the Acras that we went to Where um, it was only a week after the news had come out that uh, That the Highway Patrol wasn't coming back And oh, you try and walk a red carpet with mates in the industry When everyone is coming up to you Oh, I can't America. believe it. it's like oh, get
1: me out of here!
2: But I gave Merrick a hug. Oh, what do you mean? Why I, is that a bad thing? Why, well, just you know, I just because he's not a hard guy. He's not a hug and guy. I
0: just, <laughs>
2: and he always bravados it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I said, mate, you know that just is a, That just sucks. Yeah, that is. And I just and I gave him a hug. That's all I said. I, I, that sucks. He goes, "Good on you, man, you, man. Yeah, I'll be all right. You know, it actually, was. He's all right. He isn't was. He? He's,
0: <laughs> he was fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was really shitty timing. With that kind of thing, but that that awards that we saw you guys win, everybody was oh they deserve it they deserve it they because you you know the reputation that you have on the outside is the, as the two. Radio hosts that are like have a genuine relationship, who are genuinely just nice, normal people, you know, don't have those massive radio egos, and I think it's it's pretty rare within radio for everybody to sort of be rooting for your win. Mm. So yeah, I mean that's certainly that's certainly the reputation that you guys have Uh-oh. in the business. So we nice. still
2: so we could probably be a holes a bit more.
0: You've got a, like you've got serious wiggle room in oh, the a yeah. hole department. Um, but so I, you- I
2: wouldn't even know what to do. I wouldn't even. You know, when I got into radio, I I, I never got into this to be famous. Mm. I never I, – like fame kind of
0: – Do you find that – I find that the worst part of the business. But
2: that. Because radio announcers weren't famous. They were great. Mm. But it's like TV as well. Like I like TV but I I, I don't want to be on it just for the sake of being on TV. Mm. And it's a real conundrum because you think, oh, is that what you want? Do you want fame? Do you want people to come up and say – Hey, you want to? You know, a lot of people a- do. Yeah, but like, but I, but having said that, I you know, it's it's bad sometimes. Like I've been at a function with Amanda, and they go, "Oh, Amanda Keller," and they'll bang on about the living room, and they go, "What do you do?" And you just feel like
0: oh, <sighs> that God. is that is so me and my life. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. What do you do? And then you Every gotta, time yeah. it's like walking down the red carpet. Jules and I um, used to laugh all the time because invariably, when we would walk red carpets uh, uh, with, as the Highway Patrol. <laughs> They people would take a few photos and then every time someone would say, and just one with Merrick, just Merrick by himself. (laughs) And Jules and I would be like, why are we even walking this damn thing? Nobody has a clue who we are. I go to the
2: Logies this week. I hate that thing. That's like.
0: Oh, I've never been.
2: No. Well, it's, you know, I go, I've only been a few, probably four or five times, but it's. And the last time I was on the red carpet and because it's a soul destroying thing. And I saw Jules Lund. And mm. I so I thought oh, and Jules looked at me. So I sort of ambled over. I didn't realise he was interviewing Jennifer Hawkins. Oh shit. <laughs> and he says, get out of it, Jonesy, you perv. And I said, Oh, I'm just photo bombing. you know, leave my wife alone. He goes, Oh yeah, creep. So he calls <laughs> me up. And then it gets written up, you know, Jonesy labelled a perv and a creep in oh the God, labels. And because my wife doesn't watch anything or do anything with that stuff, she, she's at work and they go, oh, what's with your husband trying to crack on a Jennifer Hawkins? Oh, wow. It it's in so the newspaper. Name. It's everywhere. <laughs> and I get this call. What are you doing? That is so humiliating. You could at least, you know – have the decency to do oh. it, not in front of everyone. I'm going. Me and Jennifer Hawkins. Have you seen Jane? Yeah, I By was just
0: looking for a mate on the red carpet, <laughs> and it backfired. It was Lund. Yeah, I see. I'm always. I always want to go in the security entrance at those things. I just. Yeah, but the performer it. in you thinks, oh man, I need my time to shine. What have you missed out oh, on your time it? to shine? No, nah. because I'm a bad. I'm not photogenic. I take a bad photo. So no. there's no. So it, it's perilous at best for me to walk a red carpet because no good can come from it, Jonesy. I might.
2: Uh, I might show a bit of side vag. Maybe (laughs) that's what I might do on Sunday.
0: Can you please? I do hope you've got a high cut number. See,
2: none of the blokes wear, has it ever been done? Does a bloke on the red carpet wear a really revealing outfit? Has that no. ever been done?
0: No, I don't think so. Unless you're sort of like a ball rat walking down in the mankini style, yeah. but that's been a bit overdone. That would have been done, yeah. yeah. maybe you need to just like do, do a bit of a DIY split <laughs> up the front of the tux pants, just an alluring hint of ball. <laughs> Side ball. <laughs> there you go. This is great. That's a great idea. Idea. I don't have know. Have to go we're- and wax. <laughs> you will, for the love of God, please do that. Um, you know, I was reading actually when I was having a little bit of a whiz around the internets about your past mm. that when you were at Triple M Sydney, you achieved the highest daytime figure for the station at seventeen point nine percent. Seventeen point nine percent,
2: and that wasn't even me. That was Dave Reimer. So he left, and you took the bump. Took the and I took the bump. Right. And then newspapers are ringing up, and it was like. And this is when they used to write about daytime radio people. There was a time when they used to, you know, used to be a bit of a a big deal. Mm. So when I came from Triple M Brisbane, I remember there was a big article in the newspaper. You know, unknown comes to Sydney back to his heartland, and there was a whole story. Uh, They don't do that anymore. Like you know, no one, no one on the daytime has
0: any. Daytime's just the bit in between breakfast shows and drive shows now. Sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely changed. But what else? The other thing that's changed Mm. is the numbers. 17.9% triple M would have a collective heart attack yeah. if they pulled a seventeen point nine percent for the afternoons. Yeah, what
2: is it now about a seven? About uh, yeah, a seven.
0: I remember when there was we ran a five and it was honestly like the end of the world. And then it got to a point where a three was looking good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's interesting how the ratings have have changed. Do you are you one of those people that doesn't really care about ratings? Oh. Do you think about it much or do you worry about it?
2: I, I can't even articulate how I feel about ratings. I'm such a radio nerd and I, I chart how we've been going. How, Do you? Yeah, so I've got my, all my diaries. I write down where we were last year, where we are this year. Like last year was, we had a shocker at the, in the middle of the year, but I think that's only because Smooth got better. Mm-hmm. I remember I was in a shop and I heard Modern Love. And I went, oh, they're good, this shop's listening to us. And I, like, he's smooth. And I'm going, oh, they're playing our stuff. Yeah, right. And I used to say, and they called me like almost like Chicken Little because I kept <laughs> saying, all it's going to take is smooth to get better because they play no ads. Mm. They play about one ad. Yeah. And they, you know, they did. They got better. But having said that, I, th- I think we've, I wouldn't say we've arrested it, but it was only a matter of time before they just, discovered David Bowie (laughs) had had some more upbeat tracks
0: I honestly over the years ratings for me I haven't paid a lot of attention to them Mm. purely because I thought you know when you get to a certain point you can understand whether you're having good or bad shows and I often thought look hang on a second there's people with booklets they're ticking things they're barely you know they're probably getting to the end of the week or two weeks and going oh shit that one that one that one I don't know and we're basing our entire lives and careers of people on yeah. these, and I always sort of thought, you know, they always say, "Oh, it's statistically accurate." We hand out enough book booklets and blah blah blah. And I always sort of thought, oh, I think that's a bit of BS. Until Kyle and Jackie O left Today FM, yeah, and I think all of us were sort of thinking, okay, eventually the uh, the listeners will go over, but it'll take some time for them to get there. And in one survey, everybody yeah. left. Yeah. And I thought, holy shit, they are reflective.
2: Yes. And and I said to them at the time, because uh, I remember Jackie was – because like, they're right next door to us mm. now. And I've known them for a long time. And I said, you know, I, I envy you about tomorrow's book, but also I, I would have – I'd feel sick. And Jackie said, I feel – we just don't know what's going to happen. Can mm-hmm. we convert an audience? And they went up six points. Like I, I said, I said to them, I said, I tell you what, my hot tip: you'll go up two two points, and it's great because we'll stay number one.
0: Yeah, so that's good. <laughs> uh,
2: and they ended up going up six points, but we also went up three points. So it muddied the water enough. So we actually both our stations were number one breakfast, like exactly the same yeah. on a nine point something or other. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. It was like both the kids won.
0: That was amazing. And like me. only
2: Alan Jones has done that, you know, and, and, and I you know, often think if we went to another station, could we convert an audience? And I think that's a question that anyone would ask themselves because, you know, you look at Angela Coturns when she left uh, ABC and went to Vega, mm. you know, she didn't convert an audience because yeah. people just listen to the ABC because there's no ads. Yeah. That's why. Mm. You, know, that's, you know, and they're kidding themselves if they think otherwise.
0: I think maybe maybe a lot of us were guilty of thinking that moving the needle would be too tough um but when mm. but I think that was the first indication of a jump that massive where it happened so quickly that you thought. Maybe there is something in this rating system. Yeah, <laughs>
2: well, it's, it, it's funny you say. That. We had a, a kid come and drop off one of the books here, and my wife said, well, "My husband works in oh, this." Is
0: the great dream? Yeah, isn't
2: it? and I and, and and he said it doesn't matter. But he came in and he said, oh, "We, we go- this." Is back in the days when they picked one person in the house. And they said, oh, you know, we need the 18 year old of your house. Mm. Uh, he probably listens to 2JFM. And I'm going, well, hang on a minute. You're actually leading the witness. Right. Kid might listen to 2CH. He might like uh, a bit of uh, Val Dunican.
0: Oh, okay. So they wanted to put it in the hands of somebody that they'd anticipated. Well, they, 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 so they, they would, in the old days,
2: they'd say, okay, that goes the book goes to, so they used to have household flooding. So they'd give five ratings books to the house, which invariably would go to the kid. Yeah. Or the grandma. <laughs> That's why old talkback does so well and young radio as yeah, yeah. well because the kid fills it out. And then now they just go to one person in the house who had the last birthday? And my objection was, well, no, he might listen to anything. Yeah. Why are you leading the witness?
0: Maybe it's not as accurate as Well, I think it's the
2: best thing. Like, you know, they've talked about the wristband, the watch thing.
0: I spoke to somebody about the watch thing who said that they didn't bring it into Australia because the numbers were so damning. Yeah. That for the radio industry and advertising, if advertisers really knew how many people were honestly listening, they'd lose a lot of money. Mm. So they decided collectively not to bring it into the country. That's what I've heard. Well,
2: I I heard that people just don't go to bed with a wristwatch on, you know, and and that's the... Mm. the thing so
0: and people often flick you know yes. and the idea that you listen to one radio station non-stop all the time is ridiculous yeah
2: exactly and i also think with cars as well you know now you can change you can flick through 10 radio stations in as many seconds mm. and that's the other thing
0: you've done a bit of acting yes in yes. your time bit of houses bit of fat pizza <sighs> Is this something that's a kind of untapped resource of yours? Do you, do you want to do more of that or was it just, oh, I got the call up, this is amusing?
2: It's funny. I, 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 Paul Fennick uh, sought me out, for oh, it was years ago, he got me and Amanda to go on Fat Pizza. I started off on um, Fat Pizza as a journalist called Karl Stefanovic that inadvertently starts the Cronulla Riots. Right. Um, some of my best work was quite good, actually. It was really. But
0: hang on a second, they didn't even change up one of the letters. No, just different. It, yeah. it was just. The, it was yep. exactly the same. <laughs> and then
2: Amanda became my co-host, and we did uh, like a Today Show, and she was Jessica Bro. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, see, at least they said Jessica Bro, but <laughs> yeah. they've just called you Carl Stefanovic. No,
2: Stefanovic.
0: Oh, stiff. stiff. Oh, okay. Pardonnez moi. Yeah, I missed that yeah. just small detail.
2: And we had to report on the death of, and this is right after the death of um, Crocodile Hunter Steve Irwin. We had to report on the death of uh,
0: Beve Derwin. And Barry Derwin <laughs> right. and, and her mum,
2: <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> And the thing is with Paul, you're just so tired and he just gives you the script. You, you don't even pre-read it. And then all of a sudden you're reading and Amanda and I look at each other and we going, oh, are we doing this? Are we doing this? And she goes, look, I'm just tired. Let's just do it and get out of here.
0: That's a great tactic for people who want to get yep. people on board. Just get breakfast radio talent oh. who are too tired to say no, don't know what's going on, shove a script in front of them and then let, let them just take it away.
2: I love Paul Finnegan. I was at the Logies one year and I've walked past a conversation. He's having a heated conversation with a big-name TV exec and Paul just wraps up and goes, look, mate, let's just let bygones be bygones and I'm just <laughs> – I'm just wondering what
0: what had gone on before what he'd done before. But I do
2: like acting. Yes, I do.
0: Would you like to do more of it? Do you think? Uh, I think the radio thing takes up so much time.
2: Mm. And and, but I've done a lot of uh, different things as far as like um, like I did a bit of stand up for a while when I was at Triple M. Yeah, because I got bored with Triple M. I got bored with back announcing Nickelback and talking about how great the breakfast radio show was and this was a time when mick malloy was filling him with andrew denton so him and i would go for beers on a friday down at billy the pigs and you know one day we just got talking about and there was a lot of stand-up guys you know dave gibson would be there and they'd all be talking about their exploits doing stand-up and and i remember saying to mick i said oh man I, you know I, I couldn't do it and he goes well you've sort of been doing it now all you got to do is just do it in a room of people you don't know and I said, well, how do you even get into it? He said, well, just do the open mic thing at the uh, comedy store. And so I did that for two years. You go on a Tuesday night, write your name down, get up there and do your five minutes. Were you any
0: good? Um, who
2: have I spoken? Limo said I was all right because Lemo was the MC. Oh, so, really? and, and like I don't know if they're being kind. The thing why I stopped was – the last gig I did, because all I wanted to do was get a paid gig to get to the point where you're good enough and they'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. "We want you Here's back." It's fifteen
0: bucks, <laughs> fifty, fifty dollars, oh, fifty bucks hey, for a
2: ten-minute spot, that's good. and uh, I came back, uh, and that was the last one. But then September 11 happened that oh. night, and then it was just the world changed as you know and that was the last time i did it and then before i knew it i had the job at ws which sort of sates any stand up yeah. needs that i have
0: well all of those sort of desires that you have for being on stage are kind of they you you you're um quenching that thirst yeah aren't well you, you? do well,
2: you do it like i think you do it Every day you write a a bit and you try and get that across. So, But the stand-up thing taught me a great discipline about writing a bit and and doing all that. Mm. So I think there was a a time, like I was at the era of radio announcers where you were on in the day and you just, you know, you back announced Nickelback. Yeah. And then you didn't say anything. You had this one-sided conversation. Now how do you get to that next level of, you know, saying a story that actually is interesting and someone might tune out?
0: Oh, it's a good skill to have once you get into well, that two-handed. Well, I'm trying to master it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you reckon is the the best and the worst thing about this business?
2: The best thing is I just think the hours. I just you know what the hours are great. You are breakfast. Talent. I know I'm you m-
0: are the very first breakfast announcer I have ever met who has said oh, I love the, the best hours. thing is the hours. You just I hate you. <laughs> Are you one of those irritating people who goes? You get used to it. You do get. Well, you oh, hate. you do not. You do. I mean, okay. I only worked it. For, I worked it for about six years. Yeah, and I—that's a long time. Sucked. At it I was Mm. a perpetual zombie I felt like shit All the time (laughs) I didn't matter How many times I tried to go to bed early I couldn't do it No I couldn't Did you ever sleep In the day Yes But I couldn't Get down for 20 minutes Or like a power nap I was out for Three and a half hours And then I just couldn't Get it right Mm. But the guy That I worked with On the Central Coast Paddy Gerard Very much like you Nailed the early mornings Loved being at He had a young kid At that time Loved being home To spend time With the kids His other kid came home from school he was just like he'd go to the gym straight after we finished he just had the routine absolutely down so he loved it and I was always sort of envious of that approach so you work well on these hours yeah what time are you up
2: uh 320 yeah it's early isn't it and
0: you're on one of the six five or six bikes that you own yeah I've got my fleet your fleet (laughs) so I want to get a chariot so I can have them all go at once (laughs) <laughs> so I can – You should just tie a bit of string to the again. back of you and just drag hey, them all up. The well, it's way.
2: funny, yeah, me and bikes, I just you, – because you, you, when you get one,
0: mm.
2: and then I had one, I had a smash on that. So a mate lent me his one while my one was getting repaired and then my one came back, the first one, and then he said, look, I want to sell it. And I said, well, I, I kind of like it. And I said, I'll buy it off you. So I bought it then wow, I had and two. And you're in. And it's like having kids.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then all of a sudden I was in <laughs>
2: another mate's bike shop and he goes, I've got this thing. And I said, oh, you know – I'll buy that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've become a collector. Mm. And then people say, you're a collector? I go, yeah. And I said, well, I've got this uh, old Honda, you know. And I go, what do you want for it? And they go, I want six. I went, nah. I said, well, what would you give me for it? I'll give you two. Oh, Okay.
0: How and many it, have you got now?
2: i got seven, but Jeez. my wife thinks there's five. So there's a, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes.
2: as you'll see one in the garage, you go, what's that? And I go, what do you mean? I've had that for years.
0: This is great because if, as you need to be with somebody who has no idea about it, because you could tell me that one is the same as one I asked about two days ago. I exactly. have no idea. Absolutely no idea. What do you think is the worst part then, if it's not the hours? <laughs> I'm going to sound
2: a bit Pollyanna. I can't really think of a worst part of it. But You've had a Pretty good run. I've had a good run. I've, I I think the worst part of this for me is I I, I have I, my life has always been FOMO, just always missing out, fear of missing out. So,
0: from a social perspective just or a, work a perspective, a career or, perspective yeah, think. there's a lot you can't do when you're yeah.
2: doing this job. So, you think, Oh, did I miss out on that? Or I miss out on, am I missing out on this? So, I, I often think, and there'll be an event on, I'll go, oh, If I don't go to it, I go, Oh, should I go to that? So, there's a guilt thing that goes with it. So, it's, mm. more, it's more about me. I'm a pain in the ass. So, really. so the worst <laughs> thing about it is me.
0: But it's interesting how, yeah, I mean you can't say yes to a lot of things when, you, when you're no. doing a breakfast show. No. Well, what do you think is the key to surviving in the business for so long?
2: I think it's, I'm going to borrow a Jeff Ellis quote, Please. stay hungry, man. As soon as you start whinging about as soon as you start whinging about this job then that's it. And I've heard many people and you know who are you know colleagues and I'm and, and I'm not going to name names but they've whinged and just, I've I've actually said to them stop go and drive a truck do something else. You know this is a it's a great job, you know, and if you don't like it you, you do something else because it's for me it's always a challenge. It's always it's like a Rubik's cube that you think you've got and just when you think you've got it Oh, there's another piece. I miss that little piece.
0: And that's a great way to live your Mm. life, you know. Yeah, I think so. But I've seen a lot of those kind of people in my time who have whinged and bitched and moaned until they are no longer employed. Yes. And then they want to take it all (laughs) back. And you go, isn't it shit? Living with regret. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you can't get in a TARDIS and go back to that time that you screamed at people all the time well, and were horrible to work with and know, change
2: it. You know what, Rachel, I got this the other day. I'm not a big star's head. I don't I don't usually get into the stars, but I, I kind of read them in a, you know, just to see what's going on. But this is what my star said, but that's exactly, it says, when you look back, what do you see? Are you more conscious of the moments you seized or the opportunities you feel you missed? Are you proud of how you handled your challenges Or do you cringe at the most minor mistakes? While it's good to learn from the past, it is important not to think that the only lesson it has to teach you is one of regret.
0: Regret's the worst thing in the for, world. That's just not for Aries. That's just for everyone. That's for everybody. It's an excellent life lesson. All
2: right. Uh, Sorry, I've really become, you no,
0: know. No, I like that. Turn into to the ABC. I'm sending that <laughs> tape to the ABC. <laughs> Do. I'll, give, uh, I'll cut that up for you and send in. it on and you can send it to the ABC just in case. <laughs> just in case. All uh, right, final five questions. Yes. Your biggest regret.
2: Oh, photo bombing Jennifer Hawkins on the red
0: carpet. <laughs> thinking that Jules Lund was your friend. <laughs> you feeling,
2: thinking that Jules Lund was my pal. Do <laughs> I have any regrets? No, I, no, I have no regrets. It's good we've
0: just spoken about no regrets, so that's a good thing.
2: How much of a douche do I sound like?
0: No, you don't. How do douche? you sound like a that douchey? Is
2: that douchey? What? Know.
0: That you don't have any regrets? No, I've no.
2: Well, you know, that's I've, not no,
0: douchey but, at uh,
2: all. I remember once I said a thing about, and it was just a throwaway comment, it was about, uh, we, we had, you know, those train sets that you put under the Christmas tree? Mm hmm. And I said, we got this train set, you know, on the box it looks perfect, you got Christmas and all that. Mine looks like Granville. And, you know, it's just a throwaway comment. But then a guy rang up uh, and spoke to Peter, our producer at the time, and he said, look, you know, I'm a big fan of the show, but, you know, I lost my wife and my son at the
0: Granville
2: train disaster. And and even though it was 1977, and I'm not upset by it, but I just don't think – because Amanda and I have the time equals tragedy thing that you can, you know, get away with stuff – and then Pete sort of fed that back to me and I rang the guy and, and he was not in any way upset. And, and, I, and, and I said, yeah, I get that. You know, I get there's some stuff that you can't, you know. But
0: know. there's also moments when you're, um, I often say, out on the ice and you need to find a way to get exactly. to the other side. And that's often the thing that you grab yeah. for. And because you're in that moment and you can't mm. say – just give me a couple of minutes to think. Of <laughs> While I got through the train
2: disasters <laughs> yeah. in time. What about the puffing Billy one down in Melbourne?
0: <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, you sort of just grab for the closest available yeah. comments to kind of get out of the break, mm. and then often it's not until afterwards. Um, oh, one of the things I was reading about was what was the the thing that you did at WS on your first shift? Oh, the, the terrorist hotline. hotline. Yeah. Well, what was that?
2: Well, that wasn't a regret because actually, what I do regret was not standing up more to management because at the time I. Uh, Fake to call to the terrorist hotline. So we had Steve Liebman doing all those ads: be alert, but not alarmed. Oh yeah. So I had this series of phone calls to the terrorist hotline. You know, I saw my neighbour the other day. He was uh, putting um, grass clippings in his yellow recycling bin, and right. the lady goes, well. And so, what does this do with terrorism? And I said, well, it's it's environmental terrorism. Slowly but surely, he's breaking down the very structure of the. So these series of calls went on and on and on. Yeah. You know? And it all in the end, it alluded to. Every time that, and this guy always spends a lot of time with my wife, you know, but it's always just alluding that, you know, I'm oblivious that this guy is clearly having it off with my wife.
0: Right. And were you honestly calling the terrorist no. hotline? No, you were just mocking No, So it up. I
2: rang uh, actually the producer from Mix, so Bridie, who did a great job <laughs> as the. So I rang the terrorist hotline to hear what they actually said, when, yep. as soon as they answered, and then just hung up. So there was nothing from the terrorist hotline. And so I just kept doing this, and it was on the, yeah, my first day. And I remember the producer, the phone girl, coming in and she goes, they don't like it, they don't like it. And I said, don't like what? What you're doing on air? And I said, well, I've only played one call. We've got to play the four calls. Yeah,
0: I can't just do the grass glass clippings you one. Know, yeah, because it's the lamest <laughs> it's the punch, one. It's, yeah. it's
2: got to get, you know. There's a build-up. Because each time she hangs up and, I, and I'd say to Kayleigh, I think, um, I think they hung up on me. Yeah. I'll, I'll try back. Bearing in mind as well, I ran this past management and they loved it. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, that's going to be a great, great first bit. Because WS did nothing but lost pets and school announcements, they hadn't actually had any content. So all the local people, you know, uh, Betty of Blacktown, oh, I don't like this, Hands hey, yeah, wouldn't do right. this. If I'd done it at Triple M, no one would have. No th- would thought. They wouldn't have ever noticed. Mm. But then uh, it turned into a bigger thing because they wouldn't let me talk to the journalist uh, that wrote the story. So ARN went into lockdown and they said, you know, we've got to get our lawyers onto this. And my uncle, who used to be chairman of the ABT, I rang him. Mm. And I said, Dave, what, what do I do about this? And he goes, well, did you ring them? And I said, no. I said, did you cause any – is there any false information? I said, no. And he goes, well, there's nothing. There's, yeah, it's a – fa- There's no breach. sketch. And I'm reading. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then ARN just just pooed their pants. <gasps> they did a giant poo. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me speak to the media. So then the story kept getting bigger and bigger.
0: And then one day... Oh, you got to get out in front of that one and just oh. diffuse. Like, yeah, if you don't say anything, th- great. Now it's a massive story. I know, and I'm at a
2: mate's house and his wife gets, oh, you're in the newspaper. I said, oh, it's a good story. And I'm used to nice stories. Yeah, being- yeah. No, it says you're a goose. And then it's got this thing about calling for me to be sacked. And it was, it was so... And you feel sick. And then... Uh, uh, the Canberra bushfires happened the next day on the Monday, and then it was it was over. That oh, was over. And it was just all over. That Saved was it. by a bushfire. Saved by a bushfire. <laughs> but like no, the Kyle could have had the same thing with the lie detector thing. Mm. Could have been exactly the same thing, except mm. there was nothing around, and because they wouldn't let me talk, it just kept getting bigger and, and bigger.
0: bigger. So you wish you had probably been a bit more or oh, said, "Let d- me stand up and say something." About
2: well, it. maybe if I'd said something, the Canberra bushfires wouldn't have happened.
0: Oh God! I could have like. <laughs> <laughs> You are that powerful. That could have been fate. You are that powerful. Um, your dream gig or something you still want to do? that's Still on the bucket list?
2: Mm, I think I'm doing it. Yeah, I, we did do a national show for a while, which they flicked last year, uh, which was unfortunate. And I really like that. I like doing. Uh, I'd like to do more with Amanda in a in a bigger perspective, you know, a bigger thing. There was a couple of times we've been pitched for TV shows together but whenever we do stuff people go you guys should do something together so i would like to do that i think we do well with that mm. that'd be nice if you can make that happen Rachel. i'll and give it because i understand no one's competing for that
0: i'll give it a red <laughs> hot crack <laughs> yeah. um i'll it's is is, is amanda as keen on working with you as you on are tv on amanda? Um, i don't know you'd have to ask her yeah I i've
2: only been in the living room once oh goodness you're gonna um, have to rectify i have to like go in with my mango chicken recipe <laughs>
0: yeah um is there a big idea that you've had that never got up?
2: The big, hard one. Jonesy's big, hard one.
1: <laughs> What's that? That was,
2: it was just a question. It was so hard. It was the hardest question in the world. <laughs> and I still want to do it. And But the question is $1 million.
0: So are you talking like a, a, a kind of millionaire hot seat on steroids yeah. question? So, so, so there's Just no one? One
2: question. There's no dicking around. Rachel Corbett's on the air. Hey, Rachel. Go and play along.
0: Hi, Jonesy. Love the show. Thank first you. Time, first time call, a long-time listener.
2: Would you like a crack at Jonesy's Big Hard One?
0: Lo- love one. I've been listening for so long and I, I've got a really good feeling about this.
2: $1 million. Your question is, what is the weight of a Madagascan fruit bat?
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is a great idea. Why has it never they, come
2: up? Oh, they're worried it might go off or something
0: like that. Oh, but don't they insure You radio? can insure
2: the million, but you can't insure it. For because that's a game of skill, so I'm oh. I'm waiting for the terms and conditions people to come around for the big hard one because I still reckon it's got. Now Yikes. I've set it on this, someone's going to rip it off. No,
0: I like no, they can't because I like can. We can just point oh. to the bloody tape and say copyright. Yeah, Jones. but they'll,
2: they'll go whatever. If you stole from me, you stole them twice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure people will. Fitzy and Whipper to... have
2: already got an intro for it
0: <laughs> with a <the> guitar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've they've written the parody song. Um, If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Oh, that's a tough
2: one. I'd like to be one of those crane drivers. You know the cranes in the city?
0: One of my great dreams, one of my honest great dreams is that one day I want to drive the mobile stairs at the airport.
2: Oh, yeah. Actually, you know a Baggage Handler would be great. Have you noticed those guys? Because they're on show. They're actually performing. Yeah, they are. And they know it.
0: Yeah. They'll get the guy
2: and all of a sudden he'll pick up a walkie-talkie. He's not talking to anyone.
0: Yeah, but they still knows. throw the luggage even though they know we're all oh, looking.
2: I've seen guys, you know, like the He-Man guy. or they do it all in a nice – actually, I'd do that. Would you? Because it is. It's performing. Mm. And you're down there. Everyone's watching you. <laughs> Place the bag on the thing.
0: So you'd always need to be doing something that would have an element of that in it. Yeah, in you're think? going to be showing off a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, or a water taxi
2: driver or highway patrol copper on a bike.
0: On Oh, on a motorbike. Because I
2: know for a fact I spoke to a highway patrol copper on a bike and I said, what do you guys do? And he goes, we're pretty much a face of the police. We're
0: so basically you can just whip around and do what we you really love, right? a They on can't motorbike. even chase.
2: They're not allowed to chase people. Oh, aren't they? This is crazy. You're on a bike. that can go a million miles an hour, but you're not allowed to chase. Health and safety.
0: So you could just get paid to do what you would do anyway. They anything. just ride around
2: and flirt anyway. with girls.
0: You oh, see them around the city. Oh, well, well, I mean, what a job. They're well, like the Cabaneri in Italy. Have you seen those guys? <laughs> yeah. What are you
2: doing later? I don't know why they sound French,
0: but like, that's all they do. All right. So coming to a police motorbike near you that's soon, in Jonesy. That's I'd, I'd me.
2: I'd have the high boots, the tight dacks. <laughs> yeah
0: with a with a uh, carefully placed slit up the side which oh, yeah. you're going to employ <laughs> show a bit of side yeah ball. that's it show a bit of sideball like we'll be seeing at the logies uh and finally your advice to people wanting to get into the business
2: oh be prepared to travel a bit and never get comfortable always you know you're always looking for that next you have got to be like a shark Water's got to be going through the gills. <laughs> you got to always be, Shh, what's coming up next? Sending off your tapes. Sending your tapes off.
0: I mean, I'm sure that um, that your tapes would exist in, in I've got radio tons stations of them. around. Because I, I turned up to, well, about four years after I'd started at Triple M Sydney, they decided to do a bit of a clean out of the CD cabinet. And Ewan came across my demo there CD that I had sent. And he was hitting himself for saying as soon as he found it, Rach, I found your demo CD because I grabbed it so fast instead of – and whoever I was working with at the time was like, you bloody idiot. Yeah. We could have used that on That's air. That's We could have been laughing about that. So I'm sure there'd be heaps of your CDs sitting in the dark recesses well, of CD libraries. Something
2: we did back in 2005 was – I found a bunch of my old audition tapes and we sent them out to all the radio stations in Sydney. Oh, Just you. Brendan hoping to get into radio. So we got responses from Alan Jones. Alan Jones was like, oh, you, you, know, you could need a little bit of work. John Laws pretty much said, you shit house. Pretty <laughs> Straight much. Straight
0: down the line. Anyway,
2: uh, no response from Today or Triple M or anything like that. Then about six months later, my mum rings and says, I've been listening to Kyle and Jackie O. They're playing one of your tapes on air. And then Kyle's going, oh, have a listen, have a listen to this guy. And then it's me doing community radio, sounding
0: absolutely
2: terrible. And then I said, oh, this is great. So we rang up. I rang up today, mm-hmm. and I said – Did uh, they
0: know it was you? Had they picked No, it, they didn't you?
2: pick it was me It's because I just said this Brendan. It didn't say Brendan Jones. It just had Brendan. And so I rang up today, the producer, uh, Gemma, and I said, oh, hi, it's Brendan. Um, yeah, you guys – mum was saying that you were playing my tape the other day. She goes, Yes, yes, we were. Well, anyway, thank you. Um, that'd be great. I've actually, uh, I've actually got a job. And she goes, have you really? Oh, can we talk to you on the radio tomorrow? I went, sure, sure. I said, I'll give you – and I couldn't give the studio a hotline number. Oh, yeah. So I gave uh, like another number that we set up in the studio. We, and, they, and they said, we'll give you a call. I'm not too sure uh, what's good for you. And I go, well, I've got to take mum. Mum takes me on the bus between 7.30 and 8. Okay, we'll call you between 7.30 and 8. So we recorded the half hour of our show – Oh. I like, uh, actually risked the half hour of our show and we'd just gone number one yeah. as well over Colin Jackie O. So we, I record, we recorded that half hour, and had an interview in there and some stuff and we just sat there waiting for the phone to call and it was getting to about 10 to 8. Phone hadn't run. Oh, they love to
0: keep you waiting.
2: Then it rings. Oh, uh, hello? Yeah, it's Colin Jackie O. Who's that? And I said, oh, it's Brendan. And he goes, oh, yeah, mate, um, listen, listen, what were you thinking with that tape? Um, well, I, I'd just like to say that um, thank you Since you guys put it on air I've now got a, I've got a job And he goes, oh, well, what, what loses station with that? I said, might it be Jonesy Demander of at WSFM <laughs> And we just kicked your ass in the ratings <laughs> And you could hear And Jamie Angel was panelling at the time And Jamie Angel just gone And you could just hear the whole thing going Oh, f- we have been so sucked in You just can't plan that
0: Yeah, those that's, are those kind of magical radio That's the stuff moments, that makes though. you get up in
2: the morning You, go, yeah. you never know what's going to happen
0: I've run out of questions.
2: I've wrapped that up. You've because done I've, I've that done really well wrap with, with it.
0: You've, you've wrapped it up well with a beautiful anecdote at the end. Yeah. Um, we've done your stars. Do you want me to read some more stars? <laughs> I, think, I think what about the lottery results? <laughs> you can you can save that for your uh, tape for the ABC, I've got, mate. I've got some Tide Times.
2: <laughs> no, I can go through all no,
1: the tide no, times.
0: No, thank you. I think it will be fine. Uh, but I do appreciate you joining me.
1: Rachel, thank you.
0: Thank you, Jamesie.
1: Thanks for listening to You've Gotta Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and keep up to date. Head to you've gotta start somewhere.com. Oh.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about the man behind the Jonesy and Amanda Breakfast Show. Next week on the podcast, I'm going to be chatting to the host of Channel 10 Studio 10, Sarah Harris. She is one of the most delightful, talented, smart and down-to-earth ladies I have ever met in this business. And she shares plenty of stories about her climb to hosting a daily television program, including some of the worst stories she's ever done. An
1: actual story. Story that I've done that um, I can't believe I presented with a straight face. How to get buried on a budget? <laughs> <laughs> How to get buried on a budget? <laughs> what yeah. was... So we looked at all different types of coffins, and um, <laughs> oh, wow. it, it actually it actually came the story came up because someone had said, "I want to be buried in a cardboard box." And after a few phone calls, we discovered that in Queensland, you can't legally be buried in a cardboard box. You can only be buried in a balsa wood box. Okay. Which led us to think, well, let's look at all the different ways (laughs) you can get buried. Um, Yeah. So, look, I've done some crazy stories um, in in the past, but I think – they're the ones that challenge you as a writer, oh yeah, and um, they challenge the way you the production that you use, the shots that you use, the way you kind of tell the story visually, um, your scripting. Um, I did draw the line because there was there was a suggestion that I should do a piece of oh, oh coming) shit. Out. No. <laughs> Coming out of a surprise out
0: of a coffin. <laughs> I hope you'll join me for that chat. If you're enjoying the show, please tell your friends about it and make sure you subscribe wherever you listen. If you would like to make a podcast of your very own, you can head to podschool.com.au where I have an online podcasting course that takes you step by step through everything you need to know to come up with your own little program to shove in people's earholes. holes. Uh, I hope you will join me next week for the show and I'll see you then.